the epistle of James. We have a few more sermons in this book, and it has been good for my soul, and I hope and pray it's been good for yours as well. Sometimes we need some straight talk, amen? We need someone not to dance around and just kind of tell us. And James is just that friend. He's got no problem doing that. So James 5, 5, 7 to 11. Stand together for the reading of God's authoritative word to us this morning. Hear the word of God to you this morning. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. I'm going to pray one more time. I need help with this one. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that your spirit who you promised to send to live in those who trust in you, that he would speak through me this morning that he would give me wisdom and that he would open our hearts to the message lord that we would receive it with faith that it might benefit us lord that we would not be among those who hear and don't do but we would be among those who hear and put it into practice by grace through faith we pray it in jesus name we seek your help amen brothers and sisters in christ just a quick uh, recap last week you can look it up in your bibles if you want um, chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, James had a, a sca- some scathing things to say about the rich. Some of you may remember. And he dealt with the fact that they were oppressing the poor, that they weren't paying their workers, that they were greedy, they were hoarding up wealth in, in, in the end times, and that God, God's justice and judgment was coming, and it was coming soon. That's the context that our verses come into so that we understand it didn't just fall out of heaven it comes in a context these words and what we see and this is very important to see this god is deeply concerned about injustice in the world now to me that's good news contrary to the unbelieving world's belief he sees what the greedy get ahead no matter who you have to step on type of people do And one day he's going to require an account of all that they've done, of all that they've said, and all of their oppression and injustice. He's going to call them to account. That's what James is assuring us of in verses 1 to 6 of chapter 5. For the rich who oppress the poor with no pangs of conscience and who refuse to heed the word of the Lord, there's going to be a great day of reckoning. 
Now, James brings this up at this point in his letter because in his day, as often is a, a, of the case, it, it's often the case in every day and age, God's people were suffering injustice at the hands of the rich and the powerful in this world. We in Atlantic City should know that above all people. All the promises that were made to this culture, to this city, right? And really it was all about greed. Who can make the quickest buck and then get out of here not caring what they left behind? Am I lying? And James wants to make it abundantly clear that God will deliver justice in His time. You know, because our question is, are they just going to get away with it? Right? He's not unconcerned. He hasn't turned a blind eye to their despicable behavior. Justice is coming and we say, Amen. We say praise be to God. He will judge the unrepentant in righteousness and with finality. And listen, sometimes we feel guilty about being excited when God brings about justice. Turn with me real quick to Revelation. I only have a few cross-references this morning, but they're good ones. They're goodies. Not that they're not all goodies, but they're goodies for our, our, our purposes. Revelation 6. And just so you know, the martyrs in heaven are just as concerned and are waiting just as patiently as us for justice um, as we are. Revelation 6, and we read verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. In other words, they were true to Jesus. They held on to their testimony to the point of dying for their faith. You with me? And this is what we hear. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. (laughs) So we're not the only ones we're going to see in a moment that God tells to wait and be patient, and that His day is coming. And we don't have to doubt that for one moment. There will be complete, perfect justice. But here in our text, what we're going to see is God, the verses 7 and following, we're not dealing with what God is going to do to deal with injustice. That's verses 1 and 6. God's going to deal with it. What we're dealing with this morning is how we are to respond now to injustice. That's pretty important, isn't it? We need to know from God, Lord, what would you have me do? How am I to respond when no matter what I've done, I've done all the peaceful protesting. You with me? God doesn't tell us we're not to do that. We should protest peacefully against evil in this world. When we've done all the praying, God, please remove this evil. God, have mercy. And still it continues. That's the question. What do we do then? Because you know what the temptation to do is in the sinful flesh when we didn't know Jesus. The temptation is to what? Repay evil for evil. Fight fire with fire. You're not listening to the the right way of doing things. You're not hearing me when I'm trying to be godly. So I'm going to do what? Unfortunately, I'm going to become like you. Right? I'm going to give in and become the very thing that I was supposedly fighting against. And that's what God is dealing with His people about right here in this text. The Word of the Lord as it's found in James 5, 7 and following is crystal 
clear. Sometimes in the, uh, when you're going through the scriptures, there are certain passages that you get done reading, and I don't care how long you've been studying the scriptures, I don't care how wise you are, I don't care how many commentaries you look at, you go at the end when somebody says, so what does it mean? You go, oh, because man, it's hard to understand, right? There's some passages of scripture, even Peter talks about this. There's some things that Paul says, Peter says, that I don't understand, right? And if Peter says that, what does that tell you? But here, we don't have to worry about it. It's crystal clear. But now here's the thing. It might not be easy to hear, right? It may not be the answer we want to hear when we're suffering injustice. But it's as clear as a beacon that's just shining through on a misty day, helping a ship find its safe haven. And here's the message. Ready? Listen for it. This is the message. Be patient. Wait. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm not like a big fan of Tom Petty. Yeah, I like other kind of music a little more. But when he says the waiting, well, it's the hardest part, right? And sometimes in the Christian life, all God's people got to say, amen. It ain't easy to wait. But that's exactly what James says. James says, hurry up and wait. But here's the cool thing. Wait for what? The text is awesome. He tells us to wait for the Lord's coming. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I can't wait till King Jesus steps foot on here again. Part of me is, I got to admit, I want to say, I told you, I told you. I'm sorry, don't you just want to say that sometimes? "I I told you, I told you he was coming. You didn't listen, but I told you. Cool thing about that, it's the final scene in God's wonderful plan of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, we hear about God's moving in history in order to promise that his son was going to come and deliver us, in order to send his son to deliver us, in order for his son to live and to die, to pay the debt that we owe, to rise again from the dead, to defeat death, to be ascended into heaven, right? All that wonderful stuff. We're only waiting for one more thing. Isn't that cool? Out of all those steps that had to happen, we're waiting for one more. And that's the final scene. That's the end of the show. It's when Jesus comes back and says, enough. Enough. And he cleans house. And as God's people, we got to say, amen, Lord Jesus. Amen, come. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. This is the only kind of little bit um, highly intellectual quote I have for today. Yeah, I'm kind of an ordinary guy. I don't get, I don't get too highfalutin, but pay attention. It's, he just says it so well. He's got a good mastery of the English language, unlike me, but I, that's why I like to quote him. This is what he says about the, the second coming of Christ. He says, The doctrine of the second coming is deeply uncongenial to the whole evolutionary or developmental character of modern thought. We've been taught to think of the world as something that grows slowly toward perfection, something that progresses or evolves. Now listen to what he says. I love this. Christian apocalyptic offers us no such hope. It does not even foretell, which would be more tolerable to our habits of thought, a gradual decay. It foretells a sudden, violent, and imposed from without. An extinguisher popped onto the candle. A brick flung at the gramophone. A curtain rung down on the play. Halt! I always love that illustration. In other words... Kids, I know you don't know this, but in the old days, we used to listen to these things called records. 
All right, and they went around like this. And the other day, my wife and I were riding on our bikes, and we said, man, it sounds like a record, because you hear like, like that. And so you put this little needle on, the thing rolls around, and it quietly goes through, and you hear your music. Well, what, what C.S. Lewis has given this vivid uh, picture of is someone taking a brick, and while that gramophone is playing beautiful music, all of a sudden having that thrown at the gramophone. So some of you who used to listen to records, you know what this is like. Then the needle goes, and it's abrupt, and it's like nails on a chalkboard, and everybody goes, oh. C.S. Lewis says that's how it's going to happen. He's not the only one, of course. He's reflecting the Bible's teaching. When Jesus comes, it's the wake-up call. And, and nobody's going to say, gee, who is that? From the rankest unbeliever to someone with a totally different religion, they're going to be like, oh boy, it's him. For those of us who by his grace have patiently waited for him as imperfect as we are and as struggling as we are, we've been waiting for him, we will be delighted to find that our deliverer has finally come. So this is the message, and it's a short uh, message this morning, but this is what we're going to see from this text. Since the Lord's coming is near, that's what James is telling us, we are to be patient with our circumstances. Listen. Since Christ's coming is near, we are to be patient with our circumstances and with each other as we await the glorious end that God assures all of those who wait for him by faith. I'm going to repeat that. Since the Lord's coming is near, we're to be patient with our circumstances and each other as we await the glorious end God assures those who wait for him. Isn't that a cool message? I needed to hear that this week. And hope you're going to be blessed too. So just three things I'm going to point out, because James points them out. First he says, be patient. Then he says, don't grumble. And then he knows some of you that you missed it. And he's going to say again, be patient. So I think it might be my first time ever preaching in like a decade where my third point and the first point is exactly the same. But that's not my fault. That's what he does. I try to follow what he does. So be patient, don't grumble, and be patient. So let's take a look at the first, be patient. Um, look at verse 7. And again, James, this is like, his writing is like a sermon. He keeps giving us lots of illustrations. So uh, verse 7. Be patient then, my brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Think about it. This is what a farmer does, James says. Think about the job of a farmer. He works the ground. He tills it. He has to break it up. He has to make sure it's fertilized. He has to make sure that it's soft enough and it's good enough that it's gonna, the seed will take and go deep. He's got to fertilize. He's got to do all kinds of things to set it up. He's got to plant. But after he's done everything that he could possibly humanly do, guess what he has to do? Wait. Because the real growth in nature, just like in the spiritual realm, comes from God alone. He has to trust, he has to wait, he has to be patient. And a huge part of what a farmer does for as his vocation is wait on the Lord. How would you like that as your calling? Your calling is to wait. But the funny thing about that is, what James is saying is just as it is the business of a farmer to wait for the early and latter rains so that he can get this beautiful crop, It is the job of the Christian to wait patiently for the Lord to bring about justice in his time. 
when he will right all wrongs. We, we weep over people that don't change. We pray until our last breath. I will pray for those that, that, that I know around me that don't know Jesus yet. And I will beg that God will break their hearts before he, they have to be broken. But when the day comes and those who have been unrepentant and have shook their fist at heaven, that day comes, then justice will come. And we will have to say amen. Amen, Lord Jesus. You've done right. You've done good. And many of us who know what it's like to be sinned against repeatedly over and over again by those who are dealing unjustly, unjustly with us, it won't be wrong at that time to say amen. Justice was served. Listen, we could take up all the legitimate godly means at our disposal, as I mentioned earlier, to fight injustice and work toward righteousness in this world. But when all is said and done, I got to quote Bob Dylan again like I did the week ago, a couple weeks ago. He says, there'll be no peace and the war won't cease until he returns. We got to believe that with all our heart because that's what God says. This side of glory is not paradise. We are not going to have easy sailing. God doesn't say, oh, you're, you're one of my people, then I'm going to make your life just super easy. You're not going to have any problems. Anytime somebody comes against you, I'm, I'm going to give you uh, justice. He doesn't promise that. But listen, I want you to know something. This is important for you to understand. Because it's always hard being the preacher. Because you've got to preach what God says, not necessarily what you always live up to. You with me? I'm made of the same stuff you are. I long for justice here and now. I often get tired and frustrated with the slow-moving wheels of God's justice on this side of glory. And I got to say, I rejoice when I see a little glimpse of it in this life. But you and I both need to be reminded that complete, perfect, ultimate deliverance from suffering is not guaranteed until the Lord comes again and I, I told you i only had i think one other cross reference and i want you to turn to what the apostle paul says in second thessalonians 1 6 to 10 listen to this this is important second thessalonians 1 6 to 10 he's dealing with the thessalonian christians who are dealing with suffering and persecution unjustly because they've come to christ and they're following him now in a culture that hates god and this is what he says about to them this is second thessalonians 1 6 to 10 God is just. Interesting. Same topic James is dealing with. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. That part's good, right? But pay attention to this next part. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. Isn't this incredible, brothers and sisters? Paul is telling us this is going to happen when Jesus comes again. In other words, we have no promise in this life that it's going to happen. You with me? It's important to see this. 
It's important to see this because the whole point that James is making in our text, to go back, is that knowing that there will be an end to injustice someday when Jesus comes back enables the believer to persevere under injustice here and now. It's easier to deal with, not easy, but easier to deal with, when we know that God's just not, not case sera, sera, like, oh, well, sorry this has happened, but God is deeply concerned and He's going to take care of it. That he's promised to take care of it. Listen, quick illustration, then we'll go to the next thing. I lived in northwest Iowa, and I don't mean to pick on Iowa, so I'm going to talk about northwest Iowa specifically. But it was very different than where I grew up. Um, It was one particular ethnic group, and let's just say it wasn't my ethnic group. It was the first time in my life I would say, uh, other than maybe once when I was a kid, but first time in my life where I was repeatedly um, an object of racism. I've, I've faced racism repeatedly in Iowa. Very shocked by it. Just didn't expect it. Over and over again. It was very difficult because of the weather. The weather sometimes would be 60 to 80 below. I'd breathe on my beard. I'd be afraid like my hair would snap. I mean, it was ridiculous. They wouldn't close school because of snow because they'd have to close school every day because the snow is literally, you'd drive through the streets, you were like in a tunnel, right? I ain't lying. Spiritually speaking, we weren't plugged into a church that we really felt like was our home. We were out in, in, in uh, just uh, the never-never lands. And it was very difficult. But you know how God got me through it and how I got through it? I was there for a particular purpose. I was there to be trained for gospel ministry. I was going to a seminary out there that was an excellent education. And here's how I dealt with it. I kept saying to myself, two years, one year and a half, one year, six months. Are you with me? In other words, I saw the end. I saw that at the end, I'm going to be walking down that thing. Thank you very much. Put the hat on, you know, that whole music. I was looking forward to that because I knew by God's grace that day's going to happen and then I am going to be equipped to preach and to minister the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I saw that end. You with me? Now, it's kind of a silly illustration, but the point is my, my suffering that I had to literally deal with every day, my wife and I, a good friend of mine who also comes from Jersey, we all three, we commiserated together. But the, the issue was for me, and they were always saying, Sam, how come you're not taking it as hard as us? And I would tell them, look to the end, guys. Look to the end. And what James...